Let's just pray one more time. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all the blessings you give us. Even the blessings we take for granted, even if we don't think we're blessed, we're blessed. We thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be our eternal lamb, our sacrifice, to cover our sins by his death. So I pray, Lord, as I preach your word this morning that I get out of the way. I pray, Lord, that I can be in tune with your spirit and I'll be directed to what to say and what not to say. Father, I pray that um, just for everybody listening this morning that they won't check out early. I pray, Lord, that um, you can just start to soften all of our hearts and all of our minds this morning to receive your word. Not my word, but your word. We thank you that you're our Heavenly Father who loves us. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I'm going to be honest with everybody. I, I had this sermon planned for a while, and I knew for a few weeks I'd be preaching this morning, and I was like, you know what, I'm pretty good. I feel pretty confident in my sermon. I'm, I'm, everything's okay. And then something happened this past week where nothing major, just, just the mundane of life, the mundane of of ministry, right? I, I came from a really spiritually high summer with a lot of late nights and a lot of early mornings and a lot of craziness with kids and a youth retreat going out of state. And then I get back and I'm sort of like, well, what do I do? I don't, I get, I get, I get sleep in a little bit. I could get more than four hours of sleep a night. Like, what do I do here? So as I was preparing this, this past week, I would just say this, I was in a spiritual funk. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Maybe that's you today. Maybe it's you right now. Um, and, and I would just say this, I, I wasn't taking everything to God in prayer. I wasn't really reading my Bible. I'd plan youth group stuff and be like, oh, I read my Bible this week, even though I just really planned for youth group, and that's really not part of my personal devotion to God. So this whole week, I've just been struggling with a spiritual funk, and it's funny because if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. And some of you might know what I'm talking about based on your bulletin and, your, and the sermon outline. But today we're going to be talking about anxiety or, or worry, right? I'm going to be using those words interchangeably. And it's funny because if you were to ask me, do I struggle with anxiety and worry? Or if you were to ask my wife, we, I'd probably say no. It, it's not a, a constant battle that I struggle with. It's, I've seen what anxiety attacks can do to people. They're a real thing. I'm not saying they're made up and fake. I'm not saying you get panic attacks because uh, God's given you that and, and that's, that's your, your thorn in your flesh. I'm saying we live in a fallen world, a broken world, right, where everything's affected by sin. And as Christians, right, we can have hope that when we face anxiety and worry, because we all will. I was going to have everybody close their eyes and raise their hands if they've ever dealt with anxiety or worry in your life, but I already know the answer. We all have. Whether it's a constant daily struggle or whether it's a once-a-year type of thing, or if you have a big project or something going on at work, right? So as, as I want to look at today is, what, what does Jesus say? What does the Bible say about anxiety? What does the Bible say about worry? And it's funny because while I was preparing and preaching, I was getting anxious and worried about preaching on anxiety and worry. And I think that's sort of God either making me aware that, hey, I'm not above this. I'm not this is, this is for me, even though I don't constantly struggle with it on a daily, uh, on a daily um, just factor or whatever, I, I still, we all struggle with it. We can all relate to it. So my hope and prayer is that you don't check out early, right? I don't want, it, I don't want you to hear me say something and then you disagree and say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to listen. Because I want to slowly approach and say, what does Jesus have to say about worry? What does Jesus say 
about anxiety. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, verse, we'll start at 24, actually. And as you're turning there, maybe you're there already, we're, we're currently in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, through Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, he's preaching on a hillside next to the Sea of Galilee. He's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And he's preaching to his disciples, he's preaching to a crowd. And most often, you look at this, and you say, this is a guidebook for Christian living. If you're a Christian, you're like, I don't really know how I'm, how I'm supposed to act. I, I love Jesus, I've repented for my sin, but what, what's next? How do I live? The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs us. It's a guidebook for Christian living. And all throughout chapter 6, Jesus, he, he sort of says something. He says, if you're giving to the needy, give this way. If you're going to pray, pray this way. If you're going to fast, fast this way. And then he talks about laying up our treasures in heaven. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And he encourages us to not lay up and not look to the earthly possessions and earthly things to find our joy and encouragement and contentment, but rather he says, don't focus on that. Focus on the eternal, on the spiritual things. Lay up your treasures in heaven. And then we get to verse 24. This is what Jesus says. As he sort of summarizes this whole... uh, section about laying up your treasures he says no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money and what jesus is saying here is god is not after a part of your heart god is not wanting just some of your love and some of your devotion he wants it all and he alone is worthy of it all and Jesus is saying, be careful what you treasure, be careful what you long or what you, what you want, what you desire, because that's where your heart is going to be. And as Christians, I'd like to say that every time and every day and every hour I seek after God and I don't have any other idols in my, in my life, but that would be a lie. And I think that would be a lie if, we, if any of us said that now. So we constantly struggle with, with just giving God our everything, giving God our full devotion, our full heart, our full desire. And then we get to verse 25, right? And he starts by saying, therefore, which is why I went back to verse 24, because when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to figure out what it's there for. I don't know if you heard that expression before. So we'll read a chunk of of what Jesus says about anxiety. I'm going to expository, sort of break it down line by line, and we'll look at what Jesus is saying to the people of the day. And then I want to end by transitioning to what can us in, in, in 2021 glean? What can, we, what can we sort of absorb from what Jesus says? What, how can we relate to this? So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, I'll start at verse 25. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And as I'm reading these couple of verses, these nine or ten verses, we see Jesus commands us three times, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. And what I'm going to say, it might, you might not like it. How about we'll say that? You, you might not want to hear this, but it's important to say, if Jesus commands us not to worry and not to be anxious, then when we worry and we have anxiety, we're going against his command, right? And, and I would say that, it, I'd argue it's a sin. Now, like I mentioned before, we all live in a fallen world, and none of us choose. We don't wake up and say, ah, I can't wait to worry today. I just, I can't wait. I just, I really want to. Like, I want to face anxiety. I want to have a panic and anxiety attack. I, I just can't wait for that. No, sometimes anxiety happens in a moment, right? Anything can just trigger or set us off, but as a Christian, how we respond to it is important. We're all going to go through. We're all going to face it. Even Jesus' close disciples, and we'll get up to this a little bit later, they were with Jesus all the time, and they still worried about their own lives. They worried about little things, and you're like, come on, guys, you're next to the Savior, the King of the world, and you're scared? Like, what's going on? So again, as Christians, it's important for us to, to slowly and to carefully look through how do we respond in a God-honoring and a God-glorifying way when we face anxiety, when we face worry, and those words are going to be, like I said, I'm going to be interchanging them. And it's funny because our word for anxious or our word for worry, it's an old German word, which means to strangle, to choke, right? And I, that's really what worry does to us. It, sometimes it can literally choke you and you feel like you can't breathe, but other times it, it just chokes us out. It, it strangles us and, and it, it just restricts us from possibly moving or, d or dwelling on God, right? We're just sort of stuck where we're at. We're, we're stuck. And we'll, we'll go line by line. This is what Jesus says, and, and he's encouraging, and he's preaching to this crowd of Jewish people and his disciples. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what you will put on. And this word, this phrase, do not be anxious, it's easily or it's best translated into stop worrying. It's a present, it's a present uh, verb in that, in that tense saying, stop your worrying. Stop worrying about what? Your life. And that word for life, it's the, it's, it's the word psych, psyche. It, it means every aspect of your life, whether that's the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, every realm of your life, Jesus says, stop worrying about it. He says to these people in particular, Stop worrying what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will put on. And for us, most of us probably don't wake up or leave church and say, oh my gosh, like I'm so, I'm so anxious, I'm so worried, like I don't think I'm going to be able to eat today. Now, you might say, like I do with Stephanie, I say, hey, what do you want to eat? We have, this, we have a whole option of things. Like what do you want, you want Cabo? You want McDonald's? You want Chick-fil-A? Well, not Sunday. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. But you know, what do you want to eat? Where Jesus is telling these people, don't worry about what you will eat or drink or about your body. Because in Jesus' day, it's a lot harder to survive and to eat. You had to work harder to eat than you have to do, than you have to work nowadays. 
We have McDonald's, we have Walmart, we have Target, we have the dollar store. We have all these different ways of getting food, right? You still need money, so you have to work for food. But in Jesus' day, if you were lazy, you didn't eat. If the weather didn't cooperate with you, there might be a food shortage. So he's talking about their bare essentials. He's not talking about their overabundance. He's saying stop worrying about the essentials of your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. And I love watching survival shows, and there's something called the rule of three. If you're ever uh, stranded on a deserted island, maybe you'll remember this. But there's something called the rule of three. You have three hours to find shelter or to get fire for warmth. You have three days to get water, and, or, and then you have three weeks to get food, right? So those are the bare essentials you need to survive. And what is Jesus telling these people? Do not be anxious. Don't worry about it. And then in the, in the next part of the verse, he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's asking them a rhetorical question. He's saying, is not your life more important than what you eat? Same with, isn't your body more important than, than what you wear? Now, most of us don't struggle, or I, I, we all have clothes on, so I imagine we have clothes at home, right? But in Jesus' day, you'd be lucky if you had one pair of full, clean clothes, right? There's a little different culture, a different setting here. And often when I was growing up, I'd, I'd, I'd argue with my dad going to church. I don't want to wear that. I don't want to wear that. I, I want to wear jeans. I want to wear a sweatshirt. He's like, no, you're wearing that suit. And then I was like, I don't want, and I'd cry every single Sunday, and we'd get into a fight about it, right? We have an overabundance of things in this life. Let's be honest, we, we have closets and dressers full of clothes. A lot of us don't say, I, I don't know if I have anything that will cover my body to keep me warm. Rather, it's like, I don't know, I don't have anything to wear. I, what will people think of me? What, uh, I want to look nice, but I don't have anything nice, right? It's, it's a little bit different. And then verse 26, Jesus says something. He, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And Jesus is, again, he's preaching on a hillside, on the mountainside, overlooking the Sea of Galilee to the crowd of people, to his disciples, and he just stops what he's doing. He says, look around, right? Look at the birds. He probably heard and saw the birds, and you could probably hear them chirping and singing. He's saying, look at the birds that are flying around. Look at how they behave. Birds don't go out and gather as much worms or as much seeds or food as they can. They don't store them in a barn together. They don't come up with a system of like bartering with other birds. He says the birds eat what they need for the day. And he says, how do they do that? Or, or, or why do they not seek to do that? And Jesus says, because your heavenly father feeds them. Don't miss that. He says, your heavenly father, not the birds, not their heavenly father, but your heavenly father and Jesus isn't hating on birds, right? Please don't hear me like, say that. But he's saying compared to a bird who's not made in God's image, who doesn't, uh, whose Jesus' blood does not cover them, right? There's no repentance, there's no regeneration of their heart. If God provides for the birds, how much more will he provide for you, someone who bears his image? Someone who, as we just sang, is a part of his family, who's been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I was reading a commentary, and the author said something funny. You never see fat birds in nature. You only see a fat bird when it's been domesticated or in a cage. Why? Because birds daily, they only eat what they need for that day. There's a daily eating for them. And if we look back to the Lord's Prayer, we had Pastor Mike preaching through it. In Jesus' day, 
there was sort of this, this daily expectation or reliance on God. Jesus says, pray this way. He says, give us today our what? Our daily bread. Daily bread. So Jesus is saying, look at the birds. Look how your, your heavenly father, look at how he provides for them. He, he feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? Jesus says, look at the birds, but now he's saying, really, look at your own life. What can worry do to you? It can't extend your life. One translation might say it, might, it can't add a single cubit to your span. That means you can't grow taller from worrying. And commentators have debated really what's the proper way to translate it. But it doesn't matter because either way, it's the same truth that worrying does nothing for us. Worrying cannot make our life longer. In fact, worrying can make your life shorter. There's a lot of negative sides of anxiety and worry. Many times it can lead to heart attacks or ulcers or stomach pains or issues like worrying does nothing good for us. Jesus says, look at your own life. It does nothing. It's no good. Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Look at the birds, look at your life, and now what? Look at the field that we're in, the field that surrounds us. Look at these beautiful flowers that God has clothed the field with, right? The, the flowers don't worry about what they look like. The flowers don't, don't toil and spin and, and, and say, oh, no, I'm not, I'm, I don't look good today. No. They, and he says, even if you compare it to King Solomon in all his glory and all his beautiful garb and, and, and dress and robes, he has nothing on the flowers. The flowers are more beautiful. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And in, in one commentary, they said, if you look, if you get the best clothing, the most beautiful clothing, and you look at it under a microscope, it's going to look the same as sackcloth. I don't know if you know what sackcloth is. I always think of like the old school sort of potato sacks that are rough and itchy, and it's like you touch it, and you're like, I feel like I have to like wash my, my hands because I'm just going to be itchy all day. Right, so under a microscope, right, they look identical, but a flower under a microscope looks even more beautiful and more amazing than what you can see with your eye. And then verse 30 says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He's saying, God, look, God clothes the field. He clothes them with these beautiful flowers, which in Jesus' time, People, uh, the Jewish people, when they were uh, going and, and making their bread, they'd make these portable type of clay ovens, and they'd pluck dead flowers or flowers that were about to be dead. They'd pluck them out of the ground, throw them in the fire, and use it as fuel to bake their bread. And Jesus is saying, look at how God puts all this thought and care and beauty into the field, which, let's be honest, the lifespan of a flower is nothing. He says, they're there one day, and the next day they're just going to be tossed in the flames and be burned, but he says, God still clothes the field with this beauty. How much more will he clothe you? It's the same idea. A flower's not made in the image of God. We are. And then he says this, O you of little faith. And I read that and I'm like, oh. And I thought, if I was preaching to the church and I was to call you guys out and say, how dare you have no faith or you have little faith, I'd be like, uh, I wanna, probably, I'd want to end with that so I can run away and, and not deal with 
sort of offending anybody. But Jesus is, is hitting uh, uh, just a chord here by saying, stop worrying. Look around, look around, look around. He says, stop worrying. You have little faith when you're worrying. Verse 31, he says, again, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. That command, therefore do not be anxious, it's a different twist on it, right? Jesus starts by saying, stop worrying. And this, ver- and this command could be better translated to, don't start worrying, right? So whether you're worrying, stop, cut it out. Or if you're going to start worrying, don't. Jesus is covering all the bases here. Don't worry what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Why? Because when you do that, you're acting like a Gentile. That's what he's telling the people. You're acting like people, the Gentiles, who are the non-Jewish people who are outside of God's promise, who are outside of God's blessing, who don't know God as their heavenly Father. He's saying when you're worrying about the bare essentials of your life, the, the, what you need to survive, and if you're not trusting God, you're no better than the Gentiles. You're acting just like them. And he says this, your heavenly Father, again, heavenly Father, knows that you need them all. I love that encouragement. God just didn't create the universe and say, all right, guys, I'm going to head out. I'll see you guys later. Fend for yourselves. You got it. It's okay. No, from these verses here, we see that God knows what we need. He knows the, the bare essentials that we need, and he knows the big things that we might need. He knows everything. And if you're acting like a Gentile, you're really rejecting that God's your heavenly Father, and that you believe that he knows you need everything. That's what Jesus is saying here. In verse 33, he doesn't leave them with that, but he says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So what does he tell them? Seek first God. Seek first his kingdom, his sovereign rule. Have an eternal mindset. Don't just focus on the here and now and look look here on the earth but have an eternity in mind. Seek God and what? His righteousness, his goodness, his love, and all of these things, the bare essentials, food, clothing, drink, will be added to you. Everything you need will be given to you if you seek God first. Verse 34, the third time we see Jesus' command, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. A lot of times what worrying does, worrying gets us out of the present, it gets us out of the here and now, and worrying brings us to the future. And what Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's a, there was a, a quote, let me see if I can remember it. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. No. Today is, the yester- today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. That was it. And what does that quote mean? It means we can't escape tomorrow. We're going to constantly always, we, we can't just say, okay, I'm going to stop time and tomorrow's never going to happen. We're always going to face tomorrow. And what Jesus says is don't worry about the future. Stop worrying about what's to come and stay here in the present. Focus on seeking God today. Focusing on God today. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Tomorrow will take care of itself because God is our heavenly Father and it's in his hands. 
John MacArthur had a quote in one of his books, and he said this, God promises his grace for tomorrow and for every day thereafter and all throughout eternity, but he does not give us grace for tomorrow now. He only gives his grace a day at a time as it is needed, not as it may be anticipated. And what happens is, like I mentioned, when we worry about tomorrow, when we start to, to wander that way, we get robbed of the joy that we can have today. Right? If I'm too busy, and I'll be honest with you, yesterday I was too busy worrying about today. I didn't really have a joyful day. You could ask Stephanie, I probably wasn't the nicest to her. Why? Because I was so caught up in today and, and, and the preaching this morning. I was so anxious and nervous and worried that I, I sort of got, I got taken out of that, right? And my worry brought me somewhere where I didn't want to be. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for, today, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And what I want to do now is I want to transition into three spiritual truths that we can glean or what we can take away in the 21st century here, here and now because Jesus is talking to a specific group of people. But there's a lot that we can take in and learn for our own selves now. And the first thing is this. We need to remember that we have a heavenly Father. Twice in those verses, Jesus says, Heavenly Father. He doesn't say God. He says Father, your heavenly Father. And what worrying does, worry makes us blind. We forget that we have a God who loves us and a God who is our Father. Worrying tends to put blinders over our eyes and we're just like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do and what am I going to do? And three times in this, in this short little um, sermon here, Jesus says, look. Look at the birds. Look at your own life. Look at the lilies of the field. Three times he says, look or observe. And as Christians, one way that we can combat anxiety is to remember what God has done for us and remember his promises. If we truly believe that God never changes, if God is the same God today as he was yesterday, then we can have a lot of assurance and a lot of confidence and a lot of trust in who God's character is based on his word. If he never changes, which he doesn't. God is faithful, and he, his promises never change, and he never, or I should say, he always commits to his promises. He never fails his promises. In Psalm 94, verse 18 and 19, this is what the author says. When I said, my foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Just think about that. When, when anxiety was great within me, what brought the author joy to his soul? The presence of God, pursuing God. And I'm going to be honest, it's really hard to seek God when you're in the midst of worry and when you're in the midst of anxiety. It's one of the last things that, that, that I want to do. I mean, the other day, Stephanie was like, hey, can you pray? And I was like, I don't really want to pray. And I, why? Because I was worrying, I was anxious. I, my mind wasn't in the, the here and now, and I wasn't focusing on God and his kingdom and his righteousness and his goodness. And I think as Christians, we combat anxiety, we combat worries in our life by looking at the promises that God tells us. And here are just a few that Jesus says. Jesus promises to give rest for our souls. Right? Give rest for our souls in Matthew 11. Paul in Philippians says this, that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That when we're facing anxiety, we should be praying to God with thanksgiving and that God will give us this supernatural, just 
ridiculous piece. It doesn't make sense because it's a supernatural piece that's given by the Holy Spirit, not a piece you get from somebody in the world. Another promise is that we'll never be alone. When Jesus is given the Great Commission, he goes, he dies on the cross, he, he raises again, he's ascending up to heaven, he leaves his disciples with this, I am with you always. I am with you always. Or Psalm 23, most of us might have a coffee mug or a little poster or a picture on our wall, right, the Lord is my shepherd. But in verse 4 it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And if you're here this morning, maybe God needs you to hear that. You're not alone. You have a heavenly Father who loves you, a heavenly Father who pursued and seek you by sending Jesus to die on the cross. Look to the cross. Look to the promises that God gives us. If you don't have this verse memorized, I'm going to be working on it this week, and I should have memorized it this week, but I, I just I couldn't. 1 John 1.9. Just, just jot that down if you're taking notes or in, in your phone. Look it up later, but I'll read it. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. We don't have to fear God in the sense of, well, I'm a sinner, and, and oh my gosh, like, I, like he's, he's, is he just going to smite me if I die and if I stand before his presence because of how holy he is and how, how dirty and rotten of a sinner I am? The Bible says if you repent, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. And we can draw near with confidence to his throne of grace. What a beautiful promise. Philippians chapter 4, again, Paul, after he says, right, pray with thanksgiving, or give your anxieties over to God, and he'll give you the, the peace that goes beyond all understanding. He says, my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Not my God will meet all of your wants, all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2. I like to call it the gospel section or the gospel chapter. Right? Paul talks about who we were before we encountered Jesus, what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross taking on the full wrath of God for our sins and our shame, and then who we are in Christ because of what he's done. And it says salvation is a free gift that's given to us. That's a promise that God gives us, salvation. Let's not forget that. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Maybe it's one page or right over next door to where we are. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. This is what Jesus says. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Sometimes we, we live with more faith and more trust in our earthly fathers, right, than we do with our heavenly Father. And what Jesus is saying, as sinners, right, those who are evil, those who are not holy, who are not perfect, the sinners, if, heaven, or if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, imagine what your heavenly Father can do who's perfect and the gifts that he can give if you ask him. So again, number one, 
remember that you have a heavenly Father. If you're in the valley of the shadow of death right now, you're not alone. God is with you. God loves you. He's your heavenly Father. Number two, God knows our worries. God, or I should say, God knows our needs. He knows what we need. When we worry or when we're anxious, it's an attack on our faith. Right? Jesus says in verse 30, what we just read, O you of little faith. It's the same phrase he said to the disciples who a few chapters later, they're in, a, they're in the boat and the storm's all around them and they're, they're thinking they're going to die and Jesus is where? He's sleeping. He, he's at eternal peace because he knows what's going on. There's no need for him to be up and worrying. He's Jesus. He knows he's going to be okay. His disciples, they wake him up. Jesus, Jesus, save us. We're, we're perishing. Help us. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Again, that, that same phrase. Anxiety makes us doubt God's nature and God's love for us. It causes us to live or act the same as people who don't even know who God is, like those Gentiles in verse 31 that we read. When we allow worry to run our life, right, when we're, maybe we wake up and we're like, oh my gosh, like my, my mind's going places it shouldn't, I'm, I'm worrying, I'm worrying. And if you allow that thought to, to run your life for that day, this is how you're living. As a Christian, right, this is what you're saying. Well, God, I believe that, that you created the, the world. I, I believe that you created everything, that you're powerful enough to do that, that you are powerful enough to defeat sin, to, to defeat death, that, to defeat Satan, that Satan will be defeated. I believe that you can take spiritually dead hearts and regenerate them and make them alive again with your spirit. I even believe that, that you can do whatever you want. You're God. You, you work in miraculous ways. But I don't know if you can help me. When, when we let worry take us that route, that's really what we're saying. God, I know all these big things that you are the God who created everything, who rules over everything, but I'm not sure that you're really bigger than my worry, right? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you're bigger than my anxiety. This, this worry might be too big for you, right? That, that's what it does. What does that say about your faith in God and in his character when we live that way? I found the story of a, of a World War II missionary. He was on a ship, and it got torpedoed by a German ship. The Germans then picked him up, and they put him into their brink or into their holding cells. And the missionary, when he was asked how he got through that night, this was his reply. He said, I began communing or talking with the Lord. He reminded me of his word in Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So the missionary said, he said, So I said, Lord, there really isn't use for both of us to stay awake tonight. If you're going to keep watch, if you're going to stay awake, I'll thank thee for some help and I'll go to sleep. And I thought, man, what a, what a beautiful story and a beautiful reminder that God is with us. Right? There's, there's no need to worry. 1 Peter 5, 7 Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I did this funny analogy with the youth group a, a few years ago. And uh, usually I, I use real bricks, but I couldn't find real bricks that were clean enough. So just pretend these are, are real bricks here. But when we don't cast our, anxi our anxieties on God, as a Christian, this is what we look like, right? Maybe we're worrying about work. We have a, something, a project coming up in the deadline, and we're just sort of holding that. We're like, God. I'm so, I have so much to do. I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm so busy. I don't have time for church. I don't have time to read my Bible. I have this, 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 and do. Or maybe you're here and, and you have kids. And you're like, ah, my kids are, are, are disobeying. 
I don't know where they're at in their walk with the Lord right now. Uh, I don't even know if they love me, right? And you start worrying. Or maybe opinions. Maybe you said something and, and all day you're worrying and you're thinking, oh my gosh, did I say the wrong thing? And what is that person going to possibly think of me? Or marriage. Maybe some of you are like, I hope I can be married one day. And you worry about that. Or others might be, my marriage is falling apart. Or money. I don't have enough money to pay my bills. I don't have enough money to, to go out and get what I want. Or death. Let's be honest. Death is scary. Right? Even as a Christian, death is something that people worry about. Or friends. Will I have enough friends? Will I not have friends? Or will they love me? Will I, will I die alone? Will I be, you know, be lonely my whole life? And what we do as a Christian, right? if we're not casting our burdens, we're sort of walking around like this and we're like, hey guys, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross and repent from your sins and turn to him and, and, and guess what? You'll get to be in heaven forever. And, and you're just sort of holding on and you're just getting weighed down and you're just like, God, why am I always so tired? Why am I always so anxious and worried? Why can't I just live like people did in the Bible, like the Apostle Paul and, and just have this deep, intimate connection with you? And what you do is you don't even realize it, but you're, you're walking through life with all this weight, with all these anxieties, with all these worries. We're... Well, I went, I went that long without it happening. But Peter says this, cast all your anxieties on him. Not some of them, not the big ones or, or the small ones. Cast them all on him because he cares for you. Let me just tell you something. Jesus can take the load of your anxieties. It's not too much for him. You're not going to burden him. He's not going to say, oh, come on, really, David? You, you, you're going to give me more of your struggles? Come on. It's a command to give him that. Again, we have a God who loves us, a God who loves us so much that he made a way for us to know him in an intimate and personal way, that he could be our heavenly father and that we can be his children. Jesus came down from heaven to earth and lived the perfect life that we all fail to do. Just because I'm up here preaching from the pulpit and leading worship, I'm not perfect. I don't know if you think I am. I don't want to burst your bubble. I'm not, a good, I'm not good. I'm not perfect. Jesus says only, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Right? You could ask Stephanie, I fail her all the time. Right? I constantly, you could ask some of the youth group kids, I probably failed them in some aspects of life too. Right? None of us can be perfect. We all fail, but Jesus came, lived the perfect life. He died on that cross because why? Of our sins. Sometimes we look to the cross and we're like, oh, like, that's so cute. Like, Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done. But you don't understand what happened to Jesus on the cross. He had the, the full wrath of God taking on all of our sins, all of our shame, the most humiliating and brutal, painful way of dying. And Jesus said, I will die for you because I love you because of my amazing grace for you. Again, we have a Savior who loves us, who died for us, who invites us to cast all our anxieties, cast all of our fears, cast all of our worries on him because he can take the load. It's not too much for him to handle. So again, God knows our needs. And the very last thing I'd like to say is that we're told to seek God first. Why? Because he will provide for us. God will provide for us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we're truly seeking God first, everything else in our life will fall into place. And I, I love the hymn, uh, just the simple chorus of, of this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So if we're looking to Jesus and we're seeking him first and we're seeking God and his righteousness, his goodness, his love, right, everything else is going to dim in comparison. We're going to know the promises. We're going to know we have a heavenly father who loves us, who provides for us, right? And when worry comes into our head or into our heart, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, take that thought captive. Lock it up, throw it out. Seek after God, know his promises, fill your mind with God and your heart with God. Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love this. I did this with the youth group, and, and I wish I thought of it ahead of time. But I had a, a, a little cup of water, and I had a gallon of water. And I said, pretend this water is an infinite source of water. It never runs out. And what this verse is saying is the steadfast love of the Lord, it never runs out. And I started to pour the water into the cup, and the cup filled up and started to overflow and spilled all over the floor. I had, I had a big bowl underneath, so it caught it. But I was telling the kids, this is, what, this is what God tells us, right? His love for us, it never runs out. It, it overflows. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. I love that. Again, it puts it into that daily perspective. If we're struggling for the, t- for the day, guess what? His mercies are new for that day. His grace is, is, is for us that day. And some of us might be thinking this. How, how do we seek God first? Right? Maybe you're, like I said, you're, you're in a dark place right now. Maybe anxiety is setting in and worrying, and that's all you can think of. That's all your mind is going after. How do we seek God first? As tough as it is, pray. Pray. Be in constant communication with God. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I underestimate prayer. I'm like, well, God already knows, so why should I pray? Well, I should pray because, one, I'm commanded to pray, but also, two, God wants us to pray to him. It's a blessing that he's given to us as his, as his, um, as his children, right? How do we seek God first? Pray. Remember what he's done. Read his word. I take for granted that we literally have God's word. This is not just a regular book that we sit on our shelves and we're like, okay, let me see. I need some encouragement today. Let me just read this. Oh, that was so nice. Okay, and then you put it back on the shelf. Read the word. Let it transform and renew your mind and your heart. Memorize scripture. Look back to that, remember that missionary story, right? How did he seek comfort from God? He was praying to God, but God led him to a verse that he knew, a, a promise of God that he memorized. Psalm 121. This is something I struggle with. I, I'm not good at memorizing scripture. Sometimes I like to pick the really long verses, and then I just, I'm like, it's too long, and I just give up, right? But start with the simple ones. 1 Peter 5, 7, I, I think it's 11 words. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. If you don't have anything memorized, I'm going to say it one more time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It said if you say something three times, it'll stick in your mind. So I hope, I just, I hope God planted that into your mind now. Memorize scripture. Remember the promises that God has for us. And as I just close, just the three reminders again. We have a heavenly father who loves us. Remember that. He loves you. He's your heavenly father. 
Second, he knows our needs. So give him our worries. Give him our worries. Surrender it to him. And the last is he will provide for us. Let's pray. Father, we just love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that we know we can read your word and the promises we read in, in scriptures are true for us today. God, I pray if there's anybody here who's a believer who's just worrying and has extreme anxiety and that they're in the valley of the shadow of death, God, I pray that at this moment they can confess it and surrender it to you. Be reminded that you love them, that you are their heavenly father. God, if I pray if there's anybody here who's not a believer and maybe they're, they're, they're struggling in their life right now, Lord, help them to see that they are a sinner in need of a savior and that Jesus came and died for them. And that's how much you love us. So Lord, I pray that you transform their hearts, that they can call upon your name and repent and seek first your kingdom. God, I just pray, Lord, as we continue through our lives, that we can continue to seek you first in, in every aspect. I pray that when anxiety and worry start to set in, we can take that thought captive and fill it in with the promise that you have for us. I pray we never forget what you've done for us and what your word says, all the promises you give us. We love you, and in your name we pray. Amen.